Welcome to Season 1 of the Unsung Battles Podcast. I'm Ian Anderson, and I'm on a mission to understand the tactics and the truths that men use to overcome their darkest days. Just like your physical body, your mental strength needs to be trained and developed. Everyday men fight battles against personal tragedies, mental illness, addiction, suicide, injustices, and other seemingly insurmountable obstacles. By sharing the power in these stories, I believe they will fortify our minds and encourage the bond of brotherhood. Whether you're listening for yourself or in an effort to help another, men capable of winning in mental combat are needed. So let's get to work. Welcome to the Unsung Battles podcast. I'm Ian. Real quick, wanted to jump into our mental health training topic for the week, which is cultivating a positive mindset. This week, the challenge is every night, I want you to write down a positive event that happened in your day. And the reason I want you to write it down is because in those negative moments, when everything looks bad, it's a lot harder to recall and be positive at that time. So write each of those down every day so that you have a list you can look back on and reference in the difficult times. Now, turning to today's episode, it's a little unique in that today's and next week's are two parts of a whole. I very much believe that one of the biggest impacts on our mental health is our closest relationships. And so today we're going to be hearing from Janelle and next week we'll be hearing from Roy. And Janelle and Roy are married and they're currently going through Janelle's very difficult battle with cancer. And this is an ongoing situation for them but they've been open enough to sharing what they're going through and how they're facing it and what's getting them through. I've tried summarizing their experiences a good two dozen times for this intro, and I just can't find the right words. What I can tell you is that listening to their story, you're going to walk away with a stronger sense of your priorities in life and inspiration for facing what you may be facing. Aside from that, there's just no substitute to hearing their actual words and experiences. So I'm going to stop here and we're going to jump into today's episode with Janelle. Janelle, super good to have some time with you today. Thanks so much for coming on, telling us your story. Uh, We're looking forward to it. Thank you for asking me to share my story. You bet. What would you like those that are listening to, to know about yourself? Well, my name is Janelle. I'm a 45-year-old woman, and I have uh, my husband, Roy, who is the most supportive, generous, loving guy that you could ask for. He has been so helpful um, through this journey, just taking care of me and taking care of our uh, little five-year-old daughter. He and I met seven years ago at the bank. I was his banker. (laughs) And uh, he came in to refinance his house, and I guess the rest is history. (laughs) Um, And uh, (laughs) so we've been married for six years, and we have a five-year-old little girl. She just turned five last week, two weeks ago, and um, she is so funny and smart, and I'm so grateful for both of them. So I had a a very close family growing up. Um, I'm the second of seven children, one older brother and three younger brothers and two younger sisters. I was born in Central Florida, 
And even now with Roy and Madeline, we, we visit Florida a few times a year. I see my parents and, and you know, do the, the Disney and the beach thing. Let's see, I, I, uh, I attended the College of Architecture at the University of Florida, which I loved the university and I hated architecture. Um, and I ultimately ended up studying accounting. <laughs> so a little different. And then right before I moved out to Idaho, where I live now, um, I owned a cake bakery um, where we designed and built large, elaborate uh, cakes. I have always been very healthy, very active. Uh, I studied ballet for 17 years. Um, I was on the dance team in high school, where I also I studied French for four years, and I lived in France for a summer during high school. I love to read. <laughs> I love British murder mysteries. And uh, my favorite books are The Count of Monte Cristo and The Lord of the Rings. I, I consider myself very religious, very spiritual person. I rely on the Lord for everything. And my priorities in my whole life are just taking care of my family. That's a little bit about me. What's your outlook on life right now? You know, the, the good, the bad, the difficult, um, kind of how's life treating you? <laughs> um, life could be better, but I guess everybody can say that, you know, life right now, I think, I think the word is surreal. You never expect, you never expect at 43 years old that you're going to be diagnosed with terminal cancer, especially when you've just barely had a baby. My daughter was three and she was only two when I started having symptoms. Everything is so surreal. I think that is the word, but I think my outlook on life would, the word would be hopeful. And I, my cancer journey has completely altered the way I view the world um, and the way I live my life. Um, I currently <laughs> try to live every moment as though I'm not going to get a second chance to enjoy that because I might not, you know, I, you know, I've always tried to enjoy life, you know, growing up in Florida, there are multiple opportunities to have fun and be outside and, you know, just hang out with your friends. And, but after my cancer diagnosis, I realized just how much I needed to be present in everything that I do and really you know, enjoy and live in the moment in my interactions with my family and my friends and my loved ones and, and just how I need to be fully engaged when I'm with, especially my husband and my daughter. You mentioned you've gotten to this, this outlook of trying to live every moment and how that's altered your world worldview. But we also talked a, a little bit about kind of with that first diagnosis what has helped bring about that outlook since that difficult news? Oh, gosh. Um, I think just, you know, miracles happen all the time. You know, people recover from stage four cancer diagnoses all the time. And I think having that hope and, you know, honestly, I know it's going to sound crazy, but I believe that I will get better. I have that, that faith that belief that that I can and that I will get better. And I think just having that positivity, I think I think that that also kind of helps spur 
activity, which I think helps to keep your mind out of the depression and the gutter. And, you know, just it it helps kind of move your life along, you know, so you're not sitting there dwelling on, oh, my gosh, poor me. Why did this have to happen? You know, it kind of gets you moving and and helps you realize that life is still worth living, even though it is possible that, you know, in 28 months, which was what my diagnosis was, you know, be gone. And I think just that positivity um, helps me still live my life. Do you feel like that outlook that you have on life now of of living as much as you can and living it to the fullest, is that like a pretty consistent thing or is it still a daily struggle to kind of embody and and live that mindset? I think it's still a struggle, you know, especially when pain is accompanying that mindset, you know, that, that struggle, not the mindset, the struggle, when pain is accompanying the struggle, the mental struggle, because I am in severe pain most every day. And I think that kind of wears you down a lot. But I think, um, you know, my doctors are so wonderful and they, I can tell that they actually care about me and they want me to still have a good quality of life. And so they have worked really hard to figure out um, a pain management regimen so that I can, you know, still get up and kind of do the things that I would normally do and still try to go out. And, you know, we were able to take our daughter to the theater a couple months ago. She got to see The Little Mermaid live in the theater. And, you know, I I wouldn't have been able to do that a year ago. And so like things like that, I think, help me keep that positive mindset, even though it is a struggle, because like I said, I, I hurt every day, every day. The question. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you're good. This is this is all about what you want to say. So okay. you don't have to worry one bit. <laughs> okay. You're the expert on you. <laughs> I don't think I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there definitely is that um where we're we're continuing to learn about ourselves, which I guess brings up a question. Um, what have what have you learned about yourself through this experience? Oh my goodness. Um, I think I've learned that I am stronger than I ever thought was possible. And I learned that I am a really positive person. My doctors, they're always like, we've never met anyone as positive as you with this diagnosis. You know, they, they can't believe that, that someone who, who has this you know, terminal cancer is still so happy and positive. And, and I, I guess I never thought of myself as, you know, this like bubbly person, (laughs) but, um, but I learned that, that I am super positive. Um, and I also learned that I need people and, and I can accept help from others and it's okay to accept service from other people. Because, you know, my husband and I both, we're, we're the kind of people who are just, we can do it. We're strong enough. You know, we can take care of ourselves. We don't need anybody else to help us with anything. And, and throughout this process, like both of us have had to 
to step back and allow other people to help us. And and I think that's probably the biggest like eye opener um, is that it, that's okay. It's okay to need need people and to accept that love and support and encouragement from others. As you start thinking about the relationships you have with others, what was the experience like delivering this difficult news? Oh my gosh. Um, I, I think maybe I should kind of explain how I found out um, that I had cancer because it wasn't something where I went in for a routine checkup and they discovered it. It was... Um, so I was 42 when I started having, um, weird issues with my ribs. My ribs would pop out of place, mostly on my right side. And, um, then I would, I finally, I was like, I am just going to go to the chiropractor. Like, why do my ribs keep popping out of place? It's crazy. I started going to the chiropractor and it was about once every month or two months. And it was severe pain where it felt like I was being stabbed. And, you know, he popped me back into place and I'd go in my way and I'd be fine for a couple months. And then it got to the point where it was like a couple times a month. And then it got to the point where it was, you know, like every week I would have to go into the chiropractor. Um, and finally I was like, you know, my daughter is very active, very physical. And so I just kind of was chalking it up to you know, let me hold her hand. And then she flops down on the floor, you know, like most toddlers do, or, you know, and maybe I'm lotioning her after her bath and she's flailing and maybe she kicked me or something, you know, like I just assumed that that was what was happening. And, but it got to the point where it was so often and so severe, the chiropractor and I were talking and, and I was like, I need to know, there's gotta be some underlying reason here. And and um, so he referred me to an orthopedic specialist and um, I went in and they did some ultrasounds on my ribs and they said my bottom two ribs on my right side were stacked on top of each other. And they said the only reason that that would have happened is if I was in an accident. And I, I was like, I have not been in an accident in 25 years. Like that's, that's not a result of that, you know? And um and so they in injected me with cortisone and, um, and I felt so much better and I went on my way and a week later, the next two ribs up started doing the same thing. And so I was like, this, there's something else there. There's gotta be something, some, some reason why it keeps happening. And, and so they, they said they were going to do an MRI, but they had to wait to do it because of my insurance and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. It was ridiculous. But, um. They finally, they were going to schedule me, but because we'd had to wait so long to get me scheduled, they were like, an MRI is going to take another couple weeks to get you on the, on the schedule. Um, so we'll just do a CT scan. I'm so lucky that they did a CT scan because apparently MRIs don't pick up your organs, but CT scans do. So when I got the results on June 15th of 2021, it was my little brother's birthday. They told me that my liver had expanded to twice the size that it should be. And it was filled with innumerable tumors. And some of those tumors were five inches 
like that's like that's like having baseballs in your in your abdomen just floating around and so it's no wonder that my ribs kept popping out and I was in so much pain because even when I would just eat food or drink any liquid everything would get stuck above my liver and so it would push out on my ribs and it would block my lungs keep me from from being able to breathe properly and um it was unimaginable pain so you know of course like i'm crying in their office and my husband is a wildland firefighter for the US forest service and he was away on fire on a fire down in moab utah because he travels all over the country and canada and these forest fires and managing and controlling them. He was on his second fire of the season and typically he's gone for 14 days on a fire and then he comes home for two days and then he goes away again. So typically in the summer months, we see him about four days a month. But anyway, so he was on his second fire of the season. He had been out of cell phone range and um, and I walked straight out from the office to my car and I called him. And he had just walked to the top of a mountain where he was looking to see where he wanted to move his crew to to kind of fight the other side of the fire. He was about to walk down the mountain and go into that canyon, to a canyon for the next two weeks. I reached him in that 10 second window and I told him what, what I just heard. And he didn't even hesitate. He walked down that mountain and he got in his truck and he drove straight home. And that's, you know, many hours in the car that day. And he didn't go back to work. That was June 15th. He didn't go back to work till after Thanksgiving because he he needed to be home to take care of us. Anyway, he told me, you know, call your mom, call your dad, tell him what's going on. And and he, so I called my parents and, and you know, my mom came out that week and she just basically moved in with us. And and my dad came out a couple of weeks later and and they've been so supportive but and Roy started um you know some some messaging threads with um with my family my siblings and with his family his siblings so he, and with a group of my friends um so that he could just update them you know one update send it to the whole group an update send it to the whole group um, because people, people needed to know, you know, and, and that's what I've, what I've discovered throughout this whole process. You know, people are so interested in your life, you know, they're invested in you, even when you don't realize it, you know, like well, a lot of my friends live in Florida. I haven't seen them regularly um, since I moved here 10 years ago. But they still love me and they care about me. And I had several friends who, who flew out almost immediately to visit me and to be with me and to go with me to my chemo, my chemotherapy sessions. And the hardest thing I think was um, outside of telling my husband, back to your original question, um, was telling my mom because she lost her mom to cancer. And then her daughter suddenly was saying, I have it too. and. I'm stage four. So my official diagnosis is I have stage four colorectal cancer that has metastasized into my liver. 
Um, so I have a huge tumor in my colon. And then I have even bigger tumors in my liver that are causing all the pain and wreaking all the havoc on my insides. Anyway, I think that was the hardest thing was um, was uh, explaining to my mom what was going on. And um, and even even when we found out about the tumors, we didn't know, uh, you know, officially what was going on. And so in addition to all the pain and not being able to breathe, I also was having what's called what they called tumor fevers, which nobody really knows why they happen. But but every afternoon I would get a fever of like 105.5 degrees. And I would just basically be in a coma for the entire afternoon. I couldn't move. I couldn't think. I couldn't eat. Like I just was just laying there. I felt like I was dying, you know, and I was incoherent. And um, so I finally was admitted to the hospital. And that's when they did all the tests and biopsies and surgeries. And, and my official diagnosis came on July 9th. And then I started chemo on July 12th. Right before Thanksgiving is when my doctors um, determined that chemo is no longer working. So we've stopped my infusions and um, I'm on some wait lists for a couple of clinical trials that we're hopeful to get on very quickly. So that's where we are now. Janelle, you've been through so much. If you don't mind, one of the things that amazes me as you tell your story is that you're still pointing out things that were blessings or the good that you found in it with what you're going through. Like that just amazes me about your story. Thank you. I think that um, going back to your earlier question about, um, you know, keeping that positive mindset, I think that actually really helps is to be able to recognize that so many things are little miracles or blessings or because we have been so blessed throughout this process. You know, there there have been so many little things that it just, if that hadn't happened, something terrible, well, more terrible <laughs> could have happened. And um, we've just been, we really have been so blessed throughout this process. And um, I would be remiss if I didn't recognize that. But I, I think that it, it really does help, help maintain that positive mindset. One of the things you brought up was, you know, being able to catch Roy in that 10 second window um, and then him heading straight home. How has your relationship um, impacted and affected this experience with, with this terminal diagnosis? I couldn't do it without him. I tell him that every day I need him because he is just so supportive and if I need something, you know, even if, you know, it's like, oh, shoot, I forgot this one pill and in the kitchen. Can you grab it for me? He's up and doing it, even if he just sat down to relax, you know. He's so supportive, and he is running himself ragged, trying to take care of, of me and even just Madeline, who, you know, it's a full-time job just to feed her every day. You know, she eats like six meals a day and then she's running around to all her different activities. And he, so he's like, he's, he's just running himself ragged and, you know, but he doesn't complain. 
you know, he said that he's just, he's always like, that's my job. That's what I'm here for. And, um, you know, I think this experience has, has truly strengthened our relationship because, you know, we have to either grow together or we're going to grow apart, you know, and we both recognize how we waited so long to find each other. We didn't meet till I was almost 38 years old. And so, you know, we waited a long time to finally find each other. And we finally have this, you know, our, our perfect little family. And so we, we really try to, to treasure that every day and recognize it for the blessing that it is. My, my little sister, I think, said it best one time. She was like, she said she was so grateful that I have Roy and Madeline because if this had happened a few years earlier when I was alone, she's like, what would you have had to fight for? And I think that's so true because now that I have my little family, I do have this, this wonderful thing to fight for and to keep going for. What is the, what has the relationship and communication been like with your daughter and kind of that experience? That's been probably the hardest of all because, you know, with Roy, he's a grown man. We can talk about things. You know, like he can express how he's feeling. He can, you know, express, you know, what he's struggling with and in the ways in which he needs help. And with Madeline, she was three when I was diagnosed. You know, she was two when I started having all these crazy pains. And, you know, now she's barely five and she has struggled. She has struggled so much. And you can even tell, like, when I was going through chemo this summer in Florida. I had arranged to have chemo in Florida. So Madeline, Madeline and I went there so my parents could take care of us while Roy was working this past summer. And I got super sick every time I had chemo in Florida because they were giving me these long-lasting anti-nausea meds that my doctors here were giving me. Um, and so I was just, you know, in bed, like, this is gross, but I was throwing up for like, you know, the whole week. And it was apparent because Madeline was taking swim lessons at the time. And during the weeks when I was super sick, she would fight her, her swim coach when she loves, she loves swimming and she loves her swim lessons, but you could always tell, you can always tell when she's struggling. And so we had a, a social worker at the, at the Huntsman Center when Roy and I first started going there. We had a social worker who would, who, I mean, she's great. She's, she was, she still keeps um, coming and talking to us, you know, every, every time we, we want her to, and she'll, she'll call on the phone occasionally. But um, she, she recommended play, play therapy for Madeline. And I had never heard of it, you know, I didn't really understand the benefits of it, but Madeline now sees a play therapist and the therapist is able to explain to us based on how she's playing, what's going on in her mind and how she's viewing the situation and the world and that kind of thing. And, and that's been really eye-opening to see, you know, at the beginning when she first started um, going to this therapist, you know, her play, because she has kinetic sand tables. And so Madeline would be playing with the sand and everything in her play was about burying things about, which she says the therapist said was about like death, burying and, and all that kind of, all that kind of stuff. 
And then it got to the point where someone would come in and save. So, so she started bringing in like superheroes to her play and they would come in and save the day. And she always had that figure as her dad. So it was her dad who was coming in to rescue everybody. And then it got to the point where, you know, finally it's just normal play. Like she's just a kid again playing. And, um, Oh, I can't tell you how happy I was when I heard that, but, um, but we, we do talk about it. We don't want to, you know, keep her in the dark. And then what if something happens and she's like, what she, you know, we don't want her to be blindsided by anything. When it all first happened, Roy was on the phone a lot with his, with his mom and his siblings and his friends. And, and there were several nights that he would be putting her to bed and, she would just be laying there and then she would she would just go, Daddy, you were kidding about mommy dying, right? We realized a couple of things that um we need to be super careful of who we're talking to and what we're saying when she's around. And also we need to explain to her what is going on. You know, and so we did. We we told her, you know, mommy's very sick right now, but mommy is fighting so hard to get better for you because mommy wants to be around for you. And so we, um, we, you know, she now, she goes, cancer stinks, you know, like in her tiny little, her tiny little voice. And <laughs> um, she's like, I hate cancer. And so, you know, we, we try to talk about it. We try to, to make light of it where we can. We, you know, when she wants to get kind of physical and, and play more, with me, you know, I have to be like, okay, I can't do that right now, but you can go jump on daddy, you know, and that kind of thing. But, um, but, uh, and, uh, you know, she's, she's learned what she can and can't do with me. It's so sad. She'll, um, sometimes she'll be like, mommy, you want to play Barbies with me? You don't have to get out of your chair. I'll bring the Barbies to you. And I, I mean, that just breaks my heart too, because what, what little four-year-old needs to be, you know, worried about mommy getting out of the chair? You know, it's been, I think it's been the hardest with her is, you know, figuring out how to explain things to her and so that she can understand them because she understands way more than, you know, we want to give her credit for. But, um, and she's very conscientious and very careful um, about me. And so anyway, she's, She's the sweetest. <laughs> and I know she's struggling, but she's dealing with it really well. What message do you have for those who are identifying with your struggle, whether they're going through it or whether they know somebody going through it? What kind of message do you have for them? I think it's just stay strong and stay positive. You know, don't stop doing the things that allow your life to feel normal. The greatest advice our doctor gave to us in the hospital was um, take the trip. She said, don't put off your life because you're not feeling well. She's like, do whatever you can. Take the trip. Go on, go on the trips that you've always been wanting to take and, you know, do the things that you've always been wanting to do and don't wait, just do it. And so I, you know, Roy and I say that all the time, you know, we need to take the trip. And, and I think just believe in yourself and believe in, in, believe that it's possible to heal. And then also like, even if you're not going to heal, 
even if you're not going to get better, like you can still live your life and leave those memories with the ones you love. Even if I didn't believe I was going to get better, I still wouldn't want to just wallow in my bed. You know, I, I want to get up and I want to have those memories with my family so that even if I leave, that's how they're going to remember me. Is I was still fun and I was still happy, you know, even, even after I'm gone, I, I still want them to have those memories. And then I think just if you believe in a higher power, just trust trust in that power because you know that's what that's what we say we roy and i always say you know the lord has a plan for our lives we don't know what it is but we're living it and so whether whether that means i'm taken or whether that means i get to stay and you know go to my daughter's wedding and hold her babies and all of that you know like i have to trust that whatever the lord wants for me, is going to happen. With getting such difficult news, was that relationship with the Lord turbulent at times? Or how did you <laughs> reconcile going through something so difficult with those beliefs? People ask me that a lot. And people would give me different advice, you know, like, it's okay to be mad, you know. and But I just, I don't know, like, I've never been one to doubt, I guess, my relationship with the Lord. Like, I think that might be why I'm able to stay so positive because I do trust, I do trust the Lord. And I I never was mad at the Lord or anything like that. You know, I, like I said, you know, I trust that he has a plan for my life and that whatever his plan is, he wants what's best for me. He wants what's best for my family. And I have to allow that whatever is going on in my life is leading to that end. And if I don't trust in that, then what good is a belief in him? I, I guess that's my answer. <laughs> we've we've talked about quite a bit of quite a bit of different things. Um, what haven't we talked about that I may be missing or that you want to share or touch on or talk through? You had asked, what are your most debilitating and darkest phases or experiences you've faced? The darkest phases of my life would have to have been, you know, before knowing I even had cancer, before that diagnosis. I was just living in severe pain, you know, for days and weeks at a time, not knowing if there was ever even going to be an end to that pain, not, not knowing why. And then being diagnosed 43 years old, told you have 28 months to live. And I'm now in 18 of that 28 months. So supposedly I should be on my way out here in less than a year. Um, which, like I mentioned before, it's completely surreal. And then just going through all the different chemotherapy treatments, all the side effects and the symptoms. And, and then, you know, just like, that's painful enough. You're sick all the time getting that determination that that it's not even working anymore. And so I'm on these wait lists, but I know that while I'm waiting, my cancer is growing again. Because the chemotherapy was working great for a very long time. Um, my tumors shrunk from five inches down to two and a half inches, which is amazing. 
And so chemotherapy, my body really did respond really well to chemotherapy, but chemotherapy is not meant to last forever. It's not going to work forever. And, you know, and now it, it has stopped, but um, just recognizing how difficult it is for my loved ones, especially, you know, my husband is so strong and he is accustomed to being able to control all the situations he's in. You know, he's the superintendent of his fire crew. He's um, a superintendent of a Logan hotshot crew, which, you know, he tells people what to do and they do it. And he saves their lives. He keeps them from dying every day, you know. And so he's used to being able to control these situations and, you know, for him to feel so out of control, I think that's that's been really difficult. And then seeing how Mads is so sensitive and she really feels everything and to, to see how hard this has been on her. Because before cancer, you know, it was her and I most of the time where I would be gone so much that she really, she relied on me for everything. And then once I started feeling so much pain, you know, Roy started having to put her to bed and Roy gave her baths and Roy, you know, got her food. And she's like, I want mommy to do it. I want mommy to help. And mommy can't, you know, I think, I think that's, that's been really, really difficult. You know, it's a chore even to do the dishes. You know, that's hard for me. It's hard for me to have the energy to stand there long enough to load the dishwasher, which is, I mean, that's mind boggling, you know, to think that that would be difficult, but it, you know, it's, it's so difficult. And, you know, I have to be in a wheelchair to get through the airport because I can't walk that far. Like that's so different from, I have to go to dance practice for three hours today. See you later. You know, I, I, I've always been very active and it's so it's so crazy to think that I, I'm not going to be like that again. Even, even when I'm healed, um, my my body will never be the same. You know, I'm going to try. Obviously, I'm going to try, but but it's still going to be difficult. And you know, I think giving up would be so easy, but staying active as much as possible helps in like. A myriad of ways, you know, you're keeping your body strong, your mind is recognizing that you're still alive, and you're still capable. And, you know, it gives you that sense of accomplishment that you're able to, to still do those things. Never give up hope, stay positive. All of the stuff that we've talked about is difficult to, to kind of talk through. Why come on and share this with others? Yeah, it has been difficult. Um, I think if sharing my struggles, my coping mechanisms um, can help even one person. Then um, that's worth it. You know, and, and I think just letting people know you're not alone. Everybody struggles. Everybody struggles. From what my husband and I post on social media, it looks like we're, you know, this happy family, which we are. We're very happy. But it doesn't look like we've got anything wrong going on, you know, but behind the scenes, it's very difficult, you know, and we're not going to share that constantly because, you know, we're not asking for sympathy, you know, but we, we display that persona. And I think all of us do that, you know, to the world, through social media, with our friends, we're all trying to display this perfect image and behind the scenes, 
nobody's really got it together. You know, like everybody struggles with something, um, whether it's, you know, terminal cancer or, you know, uh, depression or, you know, losing loved ones or, you know, failing out of school or losing your business. Like everybody's dealing with something. And, um, and maybe not everything is so severe, but everybody's struggling with, with something in their lives. And, you know, I think, I think just letting people know we're not alone, you know, we can, we can help each other and support each other. And, and, you know, I I think, I think then that's worth it. Sharing, sharing with others to let them know they're not alone either. Never give up hope. Stay positive. Try to maintain your normal life and rely on your family. I think would be my, my message. Just love, love each other, you know, and, you know, family can be whoever you want it to be, but, you know, rely on your loved ones. Uh, what gave me the strength to endure, what is giving me the strength to endure is my family. Um, knowing how much my daughter needs me, you know, like she and my husband have a wonderful relationship, but it's not the same, you know, and I know that she needs me. I think that helps me, you know, I have to get out of bed today. I have to get up. I have to go, you know, do something with her, whether it's just sit next to her while she reads a book or whatever, you know, um, you know, I, <laughs> knowing my husband would not be able to handle the finances if I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's clueless when it comes to that. <laughs> um, no, I think just, you know, knowing, you know, my husband needs me too. It's, you know, we, we have this relationship where we're, we're a partnership, we're a team and, you know, there are things that he's good at that I'm not, and I'm good at things that he's not. And, and then just the companionship that we provide each other, you know, I I think just knowing how much they need me, my friends and loved ones still want me around. I think knowing those things, it's given me strength to stay positive and stay hopeful. I have one other question and, but we talked a little bit about, you know, how with your daughter, the age she is, um, you know, you're being careful about what you say around her, but you're also letting her know what's going on. One of the almost kind of the cool things about having this recording is, is down the road, she could potentially listen to it. What, what message do you have for your future daughter who is able to come back and re-listen to this? Oh my goodness. Um, I would just want her to know how much I love her and how every day I'm fighting specifically for her. And I, I want her to be happy and I want her to have a healthy, normal childhood. And then I want her to, you know, grow up happy and I want her to have healthy relationships in the future. And, you know, obviously you want you want your children to have everything you never had, but I want her to also have the things that I did have. You know, I have I have parents who who love me and 
and a family who is so supportive and and I ho- I hope that that she has the she feels like she has those things too and because her dad and I love her so much and and we just we hope she knows that everything that we're doing today is for her that's all <laughs> that's all <laughs> Jill, thank you so much for spending some of your time with me and and being willing to talk about this and again like like you're going up to my hero status right now um, <laughs> i just want you to know that like the, oh, the difficulty that you're going through like how you're approaching it like it's just it's a really powerful message to me and i know it will have an impact on others and and i'm really grateful that you're willing to share it with us thank you thank you for having me it's you know it's i think it's also cathartic to discuss things like this because it really does help me to analyze what i'm doing and if i'm if i could be doing things better and you know what i'm doing right so i i think it, that can be a cathartic thing as well so thank you Thank you for spending some of your time with us today and listening into Janelle's story. As a reminder, Roy's will be dropping next week. So if you haven't already, please subscribe or follow to be notified of that next episode. And finally, my one ask for you today is that if you found some inspiration or you found some power or value in this story, if it benefited your life, please consider sharing it out so that it can benefit others as well. That's my one ask. Um, There's just, I've felt a lot of power from this story in my own life, and I'm hopeful that others will find that as well. So with all that said, thank you for tuning in and listening to this story, and we'll look forward to sharing another with you come next week.